0: It's hard to believe uh, that it was 25 years ago when a familiar sitcom was first beamed onto our TV sets and 15 years since the last episode was aired. It ran for all 10 years, from 1994 to about 2004. Pretty much the whole modern world was entertained by, by this appropriately named sitcom. It was called Friends. And I'm sure you all know it. It's, all about, it's about the lives of six friends who pretty much shared everything. Uh, they shared apartments. They shared their romantic interests. They shared lots of coffee together. And they shared the ups and downs. They shared life. The show became the poster child of, of desirable friendships. It was supposed to epitomize what friends or true friends were, were like, I guess. I know most of us secretly wanted to have a circle of friends like, uh, friends. Um, but of course the sitcom was slightly, it was slightly artificial. Because it was, it was scripted, you see. It it was written to entertain. And it was written for the consumer. We were all allured by a utopian friendship that was in essence fake because it was aimed at what I wanted to see without demanding anything from me. It gave without asking anything in return, so I just took. And like I said, I wanted a social circle like friends. Growing up, I had a few friends, but I I didn't keep any. In fact, I've got an old friend sitting there that I haven't seen in such a long time, and I'm glad he could be here. Big story there. But one of the main reasons I haven't kept long-term friendships is because I got brought up with the, with the wrong view of friendship, with a, with a skewed view, with a skewed view on how I was to be a friend and how I was to receive friendship. I got friendship wrong, which made me a poor friend, which in turn then I, I brought into the church. And the church has been worse for it. And so I asked myself when contemplating my assigned passage that Pastor Paul Mossichuk gave me, was the sitcom Friends what Friends should really look like? A free for all? You, just be you and I will love you and be friends with you no matter what. And you need to be friends with me, regardless of how I behave. And does making friends really have anything to do with the church? Isn't making friends irrespective, separate from the church body? I, I just live life looking around to find the person I would like to be my friend that will fit into my life, you see, that will, that will fit into my interest. And, and then I, I choose them to be my friend? Is, is that what friendship is, a, a, a consumeristic part of just living But before we go on, I need to pray. So how about we pray? Father, we are in your presence only because of your son, Jesus. Jesus, our King, I ask, O Lord, that you would mold us. If need be, by your spirit, spirit break us so that we would live like you are our Lord. Yes, you are our Savior. We we speak a lot about that, but our Master and Lord, that we would genuflect and we would bow down to you, O oh Lord. And that we would take seriously your commands. That we would be obedient. So what I ask now for Liverpool and for myself, that you would, by your spirit now, Fill us. Convict us, O oh Lord. Jesus, this would be just a lecture if people walk out these doors and not be transformed. So, Holy Spirit, I ask, O oh Lord, that you, that, that you would transform us. Don't leave us. Let us hold on to you until you bless us. In your mighty name, Jesus, these are our petitions before the throne of majesty. Amen. So Jesus spoke in profound ways about friendship and friends, and this is why this passage is so important and interest to us. There there is an intriguing logical progression here, I hope to show you, but firstly, did you get the gist? When Ted wrote the passage, did you get the gist of what Jesus said? In verse 12, he said this, This is my commandment. Oh, immediately the the hairs on the back of our neck stand up, don't they? A commandment? I'm not under the law. I don't follow commandments. I'm under grace. Well, my dear friend, if you do not obey the commandments of Jesus, then you are yet to be his friend. And how? We will see a little later. But now the gist... Did you get the gist of what's going on here? Jesus did give a command and it's an imperative. It's it's not an option. The divine king has ordered and his subjects, which is us, of his majesty will obey the king. And what is the command we need to ask? Still in verse 12 there of your Bibles. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. See, that's what Jesus wants you to do. It's, it's an imperative. And so I ask, because I am OCD, I need to know exactly what Jesus wants. How do I love as you loved me? What, what does that mean? Are we all to go out now and seek martyrdom? Are we, uh, are we to scale across in crucifixion? And so then Jesus gives a further explanation in the, in the following verse. Listen to your master, how beautifully he speaks. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Oh, there it is. Jesus is focused on friends and love. Obedience to our king, Jesus, is is to love Jesus like Jesus loved his friends. We are to love our friends like Jesus loved us as his friends. So, understanding friendship will lead to obeying a direct command of our king. Now, now Jesus is not some layman from Baragab, one hour southwest of Perth. So, he is a a supreme intellect. Our Jesus, he's so marvelous. So, we need to ask questions. What exactly does this friendship Jesus demands look like? That we we may be obedient to to his command? Is Jesus talking about the the sitcom friends kind of friendship? Is is that what kind of friendship Jesus is talking about? Or the the friendship that I practice now? Or or is it another kind of friendship? And and which friends am I to love? Am I to love my friends? Who are my friends? And before we, we switch off and go on to thinking about lunch, we think that this is a side issue... That won't apply to us because maybe, just maybe, just maybe some of you don't have friends so you think this doesn't apply. We can't be too quick to conclude before we go through the text or before we say, what does this have to do with my personal walk? Listen to how Jesus concludes this sermon to his disciples right at the end of chapter 15. He begins a new thought in chapter 16 of John and he begins with verse 1 there. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Have you fallen away? Are you in the process of falling away? Do do you feel yourself falling. If that's you, you need to take heed. Or if you think, what does loving friends have to do with the church? You see, when when Paul was speaking about building the church, the body of Christ in Ephesians 4.15, he said this, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Oh, for so long, the church has been drinking milk. When are we going to grow up? And he says this, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, that's you and me, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Love in the body of Christ. Love is what forms divine stability. You want to know who are your friends? You want to check how you love? You want to obey Jesus? Do you want to grow up Liverpool? Do you want to be a healthy church that's mature and builds itself itself up in love? Then you know you need to know how to love. Allow me to set the parameters of where I'm heading. I would love it if you have your Bibles cracked open. I'm going to be in John 15 the whole time. You need to mark them, highlight them. If it's paper, they should be dog-eared. They're not. A, a, it's not the the Word of God does not sit on the shelf. Bring them. I'd like to make and underscore two main observations by answering two prime questions about friendship. And I'm going to try and do it as I weave through the text. That's why it would be great for you to open your Bibles and see how I'm going to show you a few things. What I'd like to answer for us today is two questions. What does friendship look like to Jesus? So then we may obey Jesus. And then the next question I want to ask is, who are my friends? Who are my friends? So let's open our Bibles or... In this modern day and age, I know we say things like, turn on your Bibles. The other day, my Bible ran out of battery. It's like, imagine speaking that 20 years ago. John fifteen nine. I will be parked here for at least another hour and a half. Kidding. Let's go straight to the first question. Sometimes I'm not, so that's not even a joke in my church. What does friendship look like to Jesus so we may obey Jesus? You know, to understand what this friendship look like, looks like, look at how John begins. He begins with love. Let's go through the text. And as I make some observation, let, let, let's allow John to lead us to an answer. Okay, here we go. Verse 9, look at this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Follow the object of love here. See how John builds a chain of love? The Father loved Jesus, so Jesus loved you. See? And and it says, Jesus loved you. This is in the past tense, and this is very important for us to know. This love had already begun, and it has no end defined. As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. And it's the same kind of love, notice, same kind. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Therefore, this love and its characteristics, it must be a divine love with all the properties, eternal, unbreakable, perfect, joyous. And so with this divine past tense love, Jesus says this, I have loved you. The you comes from the preceding verse, verse 8, if you can go there, says this, by this my Father is glorified that you, there it is, bear much fruit, And so prove to be my disciples. This you refers to all those who by their fruit prove they are disciples of Jesus. Jesus is here speaking to his disciples then and speaking to his disciples now. And there is an imperative. Do this. Do what? And he says, abide. Remain in my love. And we need to ask, how? How do we abide in this love of God? So then Jesus elaborates. He's so clever. He knows we're slow to understand. So then Jesus in the very next verse says this, in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you, are, you will abide in my love. And before we begin to whine again and say, I have already told you, Wally, I'm not under the law. I don't follow commands. I'm under grace jesus then says just as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love you see jesus doesn't ask something of you that he hasn't already done and it's also a slap in the face to antinomianism you know those that say there's no more law there's no more commandments to follow oh yes there is There may be no commands to reach salvation, to be saved. But King Jesus, for him to be king, he must be obeyed. And what do we obey? We obey his commandments. But remember how we began verse 9? And I may keep having to repeat it. This is about a love for you that is in the past Tense. John is speaking to his disciples of to the disciples of Jesus who are already in the kingdom of the Lord. This is not about salvation. This is about sanctification. This is about growing up. You want to grow up? Take heed. See, and I'll say this twice because I, I, I'm going to read it exactly because I want you to hear it. How I'm I'm looking through the text. See, you may be enjoying justification. But the enjoyment of God's love in His kingdom is experientially intensified, at least in part, by our response to Him. Let me say that again. And then I'll try and reword it. You may be experiencing justification, but the enjoyment of God's love in His kingdom Is experientially intensified, at least in part, on how we respond to Him. So let me try another way. We experience and enjoy God to the fullest level when we accept and welcome His will and His commandments in our life. Do you get that? Now let me tell you what this does not say. This does not say you must obey the commands of Jesus to stay saved. That's not what this text is saying. Nor is it saying, if you do not obey the commands of Jesus, you will become apostate. That's that's not what what this is saying either. It is not saying you can lose your salvation. That's not the issue here. This is describing the character of those whom God loves and those who love God. You love God and abide in His love. By continuing to love, obeying God's commands in Jesus. Obedience to Jesus is a sign you love God. We brush over that. I'm going to repeat that. Obedience to Jesus is a sign we love God. That you abide in Christ. And you see, Jesus is our example. In John 14:35, Jesus says this, I do as the Father has commanded me. Why, Jesus? Why do you obey the commands of the Father Jesus? Uh, The commands of the Father Jesus? And he says, so that the world may know that I love the Father. See? Tying a characteristic of obeying God's command to display to the watching world, I love God. And so we then have to Examine ourselves. Obedience to the commands of God is to love God. 1 John 2 6 says, whoever, whoever says he abides in him, that's in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. See, Jesus obeys the commands of the Father, and so must we. You know, there's no such thing as a believer in Jesus who hates the will of God. And there's no such thing as a believer who 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 likes to disobey the commands of Jesus. No such thing. So what does Jesus mean in verse 10? Keeping his commandments is the means by which we abide and we remain, remain in the love of Jesus. You know evangelicals today are so wired to espouse that we are justified by grace alone through faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. And I get it, I'm Reformed. They, they reject any obedience to a command as unbiblical. But, beloved, this is, the opposite is true. Faith in Jesus does not come by works. But in Jesus, your fruit proves your faith as his disciple. Do you remember James 2? I don't know when the last time you guys were in James. But it says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And then James responds in a sort of like counter and he says, Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Obedience to the commands of Jesus is where, is where I abide in his love, how I remain in the orbit of his love. Let me see if I can make it clear in an illustration. Keeping the commands of Jesus and and abiding in his love is like like our solar system. The sun, S-U-N, acts like Jesus and and the gravity of the sun in our solar system is like like the commands of Jesus. So the further we are away from the sun in our solar system like Pluto, we are still tethered by gravity to the sun in our solar system. However, we are very, very far away. Still tethered by gravity to the sun, but our world is cold. And its life is unsustainable. And it also takes a long time just to make one revolution of the sun when we're so far away. You you see, it's the same with the commands of Jesus. You may still be tethered by his commands, but you hold them so loosely, you are pretty far away from the Lord. And eventually, your, your love will grow cold. However, the closer, the, closer, the closer we are to the sun in our solar system, so closely held by the gravity of the sun, we burn too hot. No life can be supported on your burning world. Your world burns anything that comes to land on its surface. It's unapproachable even. You're just too hot. It's the same with the commands of Jesus. When we abuse his commands and we become legalistic or pharisaic, you better do this, you better do that. You better hold on tight to the law, very close to the sun by the gravity of God's commands. We have no empathy for those who approach and we just burn them up with the burning world that we create. See, drawn too close to the sun by its gravity will kill us and others close to us, and too far away from the law of God, we end up cold. But you see, in our solar system, there there is a place that obeys God's law and the commands of the Lord Jesus, that it produces life, and flourishing, and joy. It's like earth. The only habitable planet in our solar system is also tethered to the sun by its gravity, but its perfect distance, brings perfect relationship for life. The Goldilocks effect. Not too cold, not too hot. It doesn't kill. As a matter of fact, it produces life. And such is how we should orbit in the love of Jesus by tethering ourselves to his commands. The gravity of his commands, when, when obeyed in his grace, keeps us in perfect relationship orbiting around him. And then the fruit, love, flourishing, joy. See, in fact, that's what Jesus says in the next verse. That's what Jesus wants you to know in the next verse, in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And I know you guys use NIV. So if it says complete or perfect, I won't blame you for doing that. But don't rush off too quickly. Many believe living a life given to Jesus is like a straitjacket. It's such a drag hanging around Jesus. I have to give so much up for Jesus. Some even think that Jesus was a killjoy. Yet what comes with Jesus, pay attention, is complete joy. Look what he said, again, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See what kind of transaction is occurring there? Jesus says, my joy, so his joy may be in you. So the joy of Jesus is given to you as then your own joy. And that joy which comes from Jesus and which you now possess may be full, complete. Oh, how I get tired of grumpy Christians. Oh man, they're, such, they're the drag. Christians that seem to be like the walking dead. Man, I, do you have the Holy Spirit inside you? Well, then why are you gloom? Look what is being said here joy, joy that is full. You cannot get fuller than full, it's complete joy. But this fullness of joy only comes, you, you see, it only comes when the disciples are wholeheartedly obedient to the commands of Jesus. So you you, you think about your life. Come on, let's let's spare a moment. Are you gloomy? You know, is life a drag to you? Drooping hands, glum faces? Do you self-pity? Do you? In your quiet times? Are you in a corner, fetal position? Oh, my life is so bad. Then you need to abide in Jesus. And walk in wholehearted obedience to his commands. And you will be gifted with Christ's fullness of joy. And then before we we rush off to the Pentateuch to try and work out all the commands that we had to follow. Jesus has something very specific in mind here. Not that this command is the only command. But it does seem to work like an umbrella. Where many other commands come under. Look at this command, verse 12. And it, it flabbergasts me when people say, Jesus gave no commands. This is my commandment. I, look, I'm not a very smart guy, but I, I read it and it just says, This is my commandment. And what is it, Lord? That you love one another as I have loved you. You see, when Jesus speaks in this sermon in particular, and in the Bible, you've got to pay careful attention to repetition. He's already said this in John thirteen thirty four. John has already recorded Jesus as given this command is a new command and Jesus since 13 onwards has been explaining what this command is how do we love as Jesus loved us we ask well Jesus said it above in verse 9 remember that this love is from the father to the son as the father has loved me so I have loved you a love that is comprehensively unbreakable eternally constant robust that's the love that we're going to love each other with it's got to be hardy. But then gentle. Strong. It doesn't want to break. It doesn't get easily offended. Are you easily offended? I don't know much about your church. I'm just speaking, right? Because I know church. Brother or sister walks up to you and they just say a runaway liner, one liner. And you're already here. Love like Jesus. It's gentle. See, that love that that I'm speaking of, see, it's, it's never too cold and never too hot. It's the divine godly Godly locks love. See, I coined that one. You can you can repeat it. Divine godly locks love. The love the Father has for the Son. Contemplate that love. I know not many people think about the imminent trinity. I get it, before creation. But imagine what that love's like. Never begun. Never will be broken. It, has forever burnt with perfect eternal intensity and it will never wane 100,000 years upon 100,000 years from now. This love that you are commanded to have is impossible. But that's no reason to withdraw all love. You know, I used to think that Ephesians 5.25 was the, was the hardest verse in the Bible and it was reserved for husbands. You husbands, do you know it? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. How am I supposed to give that kind of love? So I always figured that husbands, you know, were hard done by. And then I read verse 12. This is my commandment, that you, all disciples, love one another as I have loved you. It made me feel better. So you know what I did? First thing, I rushed off to my wife and I said, see, you have the same predicament. As me, you have to love me like Jesus loved me. (laughs) Love each other as Jesus loved you. We're all in the same predicament, aren't we? It's a command to demonstrate uncompromising and intense love for one another. Godly love, divine, Goldilocks love. Do You see the logical flow, though? I love the Bible. I love the Bible. Did, did you see? You, do you like logic? You, are you like philosophy? Read the Bible. Did you see the, the logical progression? A chain of love that began in verse 9 ends in verse, two, verse 12. The Father loved Jesus. Jesus loved his disciples. His disciples, in turn, must love each other. Father, Son, me, you. You are to love one another as I have loved you. See, that love is sourced from the Father mediated by the sun overflowed by his spirit in us then to each other it's like the sun's source of heat coming through and penetrating to us by the sun's rays on a fertile world that i live in which then produces fruit and before you despair and say who can love like jesus who is sufficient for these things this love jesus explains somewhat in the next verse Look at verse 13. What kind of love? What does it look like? Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And look, here it is. John has answered our first question. What does friendship look like to Jesus so we may obey Jesus? Friendship is a love that is self-sacrificing. Loving my friend is giving my life up for them. Giving, 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 giving my life for them. So it's not a sitcom friends friendship, like a consumeristic friendship, a friendship aimed at what I want to see without demanding anything from me. No, biblical friendship gives. Biblical friendship doesn't just take. Biblical friendship gives and gives everything. i given life for their friend. Now, this doesn't mean that the love is great because it's given to friends in particular, but Great love is the laying down of life. Self-sacrifice is the great love, and that great love is given to friends. And of course, the greatest exemplar of laying down one's life for his friends is Jesus, King Jesus. Praise to his holy name. Today on the Lord's Day, you need to spend time, apart from here, praising him lays down his life condescends from eternity off his throne unrobes his majesty and he allows people to mock him and then spit him and then scourge on him and then he dies for you and this is where unbelievers then the atheist here this is where you get it wrong you think that jesus was crucified as a criminal Or as a failed missionary. But no guilt was found in him. Jesus came voluntarily to die as a substitute for sinners. It's us. As a sacrifice for his friends. Jesus dies a death that we deserve. And Jesus dies so his friends may live. How do we abide in the love of Christ? We obey his commands. What is his command to obey? Love one another as I have loved you. How do I love in this manner? Greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. Do you see? We follow King Jesus, we obey the king's commands, we actually live like he lived. It's a logical progression beginning with a father moving to Jesus, Jesus to his disciples from us out in fruit. But who benefits, we ask? Well, for that, we need to answer the second question, don't we? Which friends? Which friends am I to love? My current friends? Who are my friends? Have you ever heard this? And don't put your hand up if you've ever said this, that you can't choose your family... But you can choose your friends. Mm. You've got to be very careful when a preacher asks questions like that. I think that's completely untrue for the Christian. Let me show you something. Verse 14 tells us who are his friends. So, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And it's a strange love, isn't it? Very strange. It's different to the sitcom, secular, worldly love. Who wants to be a friend to someone that says, you obey me and you can be my friend strange but firstly jesus is not saying obeying his commands causes you to be his friends but obeying his commands is characteristic of his friends and how do i know i'm a friend of jesus i I, I obey his commands and secondly it separates jesus from all our other friends we obey him he does not obey us but, but keep asking the question, who are our friends? Well, if we are friends of Jesus, we would also be friends with others who are friends with Jesus, right? I'm friends with him, other friends with him, therefore we're all friends. Everyone who calls Jesus his friend is your friend. Everyone who obeys Jesus as king is your friend. Here are your friends. Liverpool, these are your friends, Listen to what Jesus teaches immediately following this friendship sermon because he wants to contrast to make sure you're not like me and say, ah, but what about this? What about that? So then he says, just so you make no mistake where our friends should come from, listen to what Jesus speaks about in the very next verse after our pericope, after our passage, verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. Does the world love you? It would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus said that. So let me ask you, ask yourselves, do you have more friends in the world than in the church? Does the world hate you or love you? Do you love the world? And you will know, you know how you know? By how friendly you are with the world. By how many friends you have in the church and how many friends you have in the world. But now you say, but Wally, these, these are the world, they're my friends. I, I made friends with them and so they're, they're, they're my friends. Well, let me challenge you. Think a little bit little about who your friends are and how you manage to befriend them. Who chooses your friends? Who chooses your friends to love? You or Jesus? Remember I said your friends are those those that show the characteristics of obedience to Jesus. They're your friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. In verse 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves, but friends. And now listen in verse 16 of our passage. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. If if Jesus chooses me as his friend and then chooses you as his friend and anyone who is friends with Jesus is my friend, then who is choosing my friends? Isn't Jesus then choosing my friends? So these believers here, right here, have been chosen for you to be friends. So how do we abide in the love of Christ? We obey his commands. What is his command to obey? Love one another as I have loved you. How do we love in this manner? Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You don't choose your eternal true friends. And by the way, John is using a word here, tiloi, in the Greek, but for friend, and he's calling them loved ones. Jesus chooses whom you and I should love. And they're here. Oh, yes, yes, we are to love our enemies. I, I get the rebuttal. I know we are to love those in the world. We, de, we desire for them to come to salvation. But we have to have a special, reserved, intensified love source from our Heavenly Father, mediated by the Son, bestowed upon our lives by His Spirit, and then given to the friends of Jesus. Do you love your friends here like you like do you love your friends here like you love the friends of the world? Do you love one another as Christ has loved you? See when, when the church has a strong foundation that builds itself up imitating the self-sacrificing love Jesus had for his friends the church will bear abiding and remaining fruit in this world. But we mustn't keep going as church and neglecting the commands of God in Jesus, especially when we want the body of Christ to be rooted and built up and established on the foundation love of Jesus and yet not display that love that Jesus had for his friends with with our chosen eternal friends, you see. It's beautiful logic. We cannot expect... Beloved, I don't know if you think this way, but we cannot, I tell this to my people as well. We cannot expect to bring people into the church that will not be loved differently and more intensely than the world. They might as well just stay there. There needs to be a separate, different, intense kind of love here. Palpable, spirit-filled, and an okay kind of love out there, right? You know, Galatians one of the most neglected verses, because we don't like it, says this, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially, it's conditional. At the very least, Christians should love each other with a greater intensified love. We must be set apart. We must set apart by loving God. So now look how John ends this pericope, this this section, this passage. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Again, repetition. Jesus feels like he needs to repeat himself because we are daft. We are slow to get this stuff. So he's repeating it. It starts in John 13, 34. Then he repeats it in the very next verse, verse 35. He comes here and repeats in verse 12, that you love one another as I loved you. Now he repeats in verse 17, so that you love one another. And you need to ask, why? Well, maybe because... He saw a time that we wouldn't listen. But this marks the end of a particular section of Jesus' sermon. G- John doesn't record the word or idea of abiding or the refrain, love one another again, in his, in his gospel. This is the end of the abiding branches and fruit sermon. It's the teaching from last week. Remember this, the warning of Jesus in John 15:5? I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And then a warning. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are then gathered and thrown into the fire and burnt. Whoa. And now I, ending verse here, 17. These these things, these things I command you. These things, what things, what's... What's happened beforehand. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And the first time Jesus commanded this love was in verse John 13, 45. And then immediately he says this. By this, the love, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. You see? Now John at the end is conflation, he's conflating, he's bringing all his ideas together and, and showing how Jesus put the abiding, the love, the branches, the fruit. And he concludes, abiding in Jesus bears much fruit. Abiding in Jesus is to be his disciple. You are his disciple and friend if you love one another. There you go. And hence the last two verses. You did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit and that fruit should abide. You, Liverpool, have been chosen to bear fruit. You are Christ's fruit bearer. It is Jesus who loves his disciples and the fruit of that love is for his disciples to reproduce his love by loving one another the logical progression of God's beautiful fruit of love. I end with this. If you are not in the solar system, tethered to the sun, orbiting his rule, abiding by the gravity of his commands, I have to warn you right now that you're on a trajectory that has only one end and that end is to be thrown And fire and burned. If you're not abiding in Christ, if you're not proving to be His disciple, and by abiding, abiding is obeying His commands. If you are not proving to be a disciple of Jesus, you're proving to be a disciple of destruction. So I ask you, why would you reject such a loving Saviour? A Jesus, a man who, who's not like friends on TV, but Jesus who lays down his life for his friends. You and we need to sober up right now to understand the gravity of the predicament we're all in. You are either tethered to the Son of God, being perfected to a fullness of joy, or you are cut off from him. And this has nothing to do with the way that you think, so you can rationalise it. I'm good at that. I justify everything in my mind. But everything to do with what your life proves. Is the fruit in your life evidence you are obeying the commands of Jesus? Yes. Well, then praise God. No. Does your life prove you're disobedient to the commands of Jesus? Then you need to repent. Repent. You need to repent. Repent of your rebellion and turn to Jesus. You must call on the Son that He will draw you into His orbit, that the Son of God will tether you in His mercy and His grace and that your love will then be shown to be His fruit, drawn into His solar system of His kingdom. Friends, the best friend, Is the one who laid down his life for friends. So you need to ask right now, is Jesus my friend or not? Your obedience to him will tell. Love your friend the Lord chose for you to love. Let me pray. Lord, I have to repeat again, who is sufficient for these things? Who can love like Jesus? But I pray that your spirit now, Spirit, don't let us deceive ourselves to think we shouldn't love at all. Or that we need to go to the world to find friends when you tell us by your word. You choose our friends to love. So I ask. the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, help us to love one another as you have loved us. For your eternal glory, Jesus, I pray. Amen.